Father, we thank you for silence. We thank you how we see that as a regular practice in Jesus' life where he got away from the craziness, the chaos, the everyday activities that he was engaged in and how he sought solitude and silence. Father, I pray that in the moments that follow as we uncover and look at what Jesus did and how he lived, I pray that that would inform our lives and that just as Jesus withdrew to lonely places to spend time with you, Father, that we would adopt that practice in our own lives as we seek to live for you in this world that seems so chaotic. Give us the gift of silence and solitude and show us how that deepens our prayer life and our, our, our dependence upon you. We thank you, Father. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how many of you were pretty uncomfortable as I stood here for just about a minute without saying a word? My heart was racing. It was uncomfortable. I think my palms are even sweaty. I don't know how it felt for you, but it was incredibly uncomfortable. Silence and solitude in our world today, they just don't go. They don't mix. They don't jive with who we are and who we are as a people because we keep running and going and doing. For many of us, when we have opportunities to be silent, it's often filled with music or audiobooks, with, with <laughs> binge-watching your favorite show on whatever service you have. It's often spent scrolling through your phone, looking at absolutely nothing, for hours maybe. We've lost the ability just to sit in solitude in peace with the Lord. We have to fill that time with all kinds of filler and really with junk. My big one actually is my phone. I just recently took all social media off my phone. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all gone. It's amazing. Now when I'm sitting still or I'm, I just don't open up my phone and start scrolling through meaningless information. What is it for you? When you're faced with the opportunity to have solitude and be quiet and have silence and really focus on what's important, what do you fill your time with? This is week two of our series, Hearing from God. And the focus of today, as you're probably aware, is foundational for who we are as followers of Jesus. It's foundational for our relationship with the Father. We're going to talk about what it means to be quiet, to be silent, to seek solitude in our lives. And the impact, the benefit that that can have as we walk in our relationship with Jesus. We're going to look at three different scenes, if you will, from Jesus' ministry. Three snapshots. We're going, to, we're going to hone in and see what he did in three different occasions. As, as he practiced, as he sought, as he reflected and found solitude and silence. Among, uh, among all that was happening in his world, he was silent. We're going to see how it strengthened him, how it sustained him, and how it prepared him. There's the three points right there. You can write them down, you can memorize them, you can do whatever, but that's where we're going today. How did Jesus use silence and solitude for his life and for his ministry? How did it benefit him and enable him to walk in this world in a triumphal way? The first scene we're going to look at is actually found in Luke 4, verses 1 and 2. 
it's, it's a, t- a scripture. All these scriptures are scriptures you've heard before. But hopefully as we look at them today, you get a whole new appreciation of how they speak to you and how maybe as followers of Christ we should act. So Luke 4, uh, verses 1 and 2. Right after Jesus' baptism. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the, and at the end of them, he was hungry. For 40 days, Jesus was just off on, our, on his own, and we're going to see why that was so remarkable. The summer of 1995, I was 21 years old, and, and a group of friends and myself, we went up to the Adirondacks for this, this um, trip called Levita. And what Levita did is it took us out of our element here in the south towns of our city and put us up in the Adirondacks where we backpacked, canoed, just did all this stuff. We, we portaged from lake to lake. We carried everything on our backs. It was remarkable. And, and for me, being an outdoors type person, that's ex- it, was, it was speaking my language. But one of the days... It was called the solo. And for 24 hours, they sort of took you, each individual, dropped us somewhere in the Adirondacks. We were all, you know, probably within at least earshot of each other, but I didn't know where anybody was. If I screamed, I bet they could have heard me. And for 24 hours, you didn't eat anything, you fasted, you were by yourself, and you were purely alone. They didn't even give us shelter. You had to sort of figure out where you were going to spend the night and what it looked like and how you were going to do all of those things. I'll tell you what. It was the first time in my life I experienced, I assume, what Jesus experienced when he was alone in the wilderness for those 40 days. I felt a deepness and a closeness to the Lord that I'd never experienced before. There was no one else to talk to. It was before cell phones. There was no one, no one, nothing to look at. I had my Bible and notebook, and I was alone in the woods for 24 hours. It was glorious. Because all the distractions of the world, everything faded away. And it was just me and God, alone together. Where where I just poured over the scriptures for some of it. For some of it, I just sat silent and soaked in all that was going on. The noises in the woods, the wind, it, it even rained a little bit. It was glorious. And for the first time in my life, I understood the power of solitude and being alone just off, just off by myself. My community group is reading a book called The Spirit of the Disciplines. It's a really interesting read. It's by an author and theologian actually named Dallas Willard. I recommend you read everything he wrote because he's a phenomenal, phenomenal person. And as he wrote about the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, he wrote about this passage we're talking about this morning, this first chunk. And I'm going to read a little bit from um, his book, The Spirit of the Disciplines. The Spirit, we are told, led him, led Jesus, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This was not to put him into the weakest possible position before Satan. It was not a thing of weakness. Starving and alone in the wild... Most of whom I've spoken to about this matter are shocked at at the suggestion that the wilderness, the place of solitude and deprivation, listen to this, was actually the place of strength and strengthening for our Lord. And, And the Spirit led him there as he would lead us there. 
to ensure that Christ was in the best possible condition for his trial. We often think that Jesus was weak and hungry and that the 40 days was this awful time, but my goodness, he was about to take on the most important thing in history up to that point. You see, Jesus is known as the second Adam, the second one to come. The first Adam, as you know, had temptation, and what happened? He failed and plunged our world into sin from that point until today. But Jesus, as the second Adam, rises up He's born of the virgin, being conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he's, he's the one. And the Holy Spirit leads him into the, into the wilderness. The enemy knows that this is a good time, or thinks it's a good time at least. But what happens? Prior to the tempting, I'm sure Jesus, as he was alone with the Father as he heard the birds and the animals and all that was happening in that part of Israel, as he was taking it all in, as he was fasting, he was being strengthened. Strengthened for this moment that would set the course for his ministry. Strengthened for this moment where the enemy would say, if I can distract him now, the rest of it's worthless. So the enemy took his best shots. And what did Jesus do? He stood up under the temptation. Because he had been strengthened, he had been filled, he had been prepared because of his being alone in solitude with the Father. He was alone, he didn't eat anything, and I bet it was the most glorious 40 days he spent. Recently, when I was in Israel, we went to the place where they assume he was really baptized. And the Jordan's just this little muddy stream. It's not this mighty river like you might imagine. But, and from that point, the way our guide told us, in the wilderness would just be about a mile this way. So he was led into the wilderness. We often think that temptations come our way, and we're tempted every day, right? From, from the things we watch and see and hear. And maybe for you and me, as temptations pile upon us, maybe solitude is a way where we can strengthen ourselves, where we can find oneness with God, where we can understand what he wants us to do and how he wants us to do it, where we can have communion with the Holy Spirit and he can speak to us to prepare us for our lives, to prepare us for what's next. You see, solitude is a place to be strengthened it's not a place of weakness. It's not a place we should fear and run away from. It's a place we should embrace and, and take every opportunity we have to tune everything out, to focus on the Lord, and to be strengthened, to put, to put our phones to the side, the remote, whatever, and just sit in God's presence. And exhale. In our world right now, with all the messages that are being thrown at us, all the unrest, everything that's happening, and I don't need to tell you what it is because you're well aware of it, how incredible does it sound to withdraw from all of that, to step aside from the chaos that surrounds us right now, to spend time with the Lord, so that he can strengthen you. He can pour into you. 
So when the struggles of the world come, when the temptations come, when all that this is swirling around us, whether it be COVID or elections or race issues, when all this stuff, you say, Lord, strengthen me. Fill me. And it's in the place of solitude that God has the space to do that. Because our attention is on him. So the first scene, we see how Jesus was strengthened through solitude. And it's interesting, in Luke 4.13, it says, When the devil had finished his tempting, he left him until an appropriate time, until an opportune time. The devil knew that he had been defeated. Jesus stood up under the weight of the temptation because he'd been filled by, with the Holy Spirit, as he always was. But through his being alone in the wilderness, he got strength. He was strengthened so that the devil fleed fled from him, waiting for another opportunity, but he fled for his ultimate destruction later, for his ultimate defeat later. But at this point, he fled because Jesus was so strong, and he stood up because he was prepared by the time he'd spent by himself, alone in the wilderness. For scene two, we're just going to flip over to Luke chapter four. And this is um, Luke chapter 5, rather. And in this story, we see Jesus again show us the value of solitude. In this story, I won't read the whole thing, but I will tell it. Well, Jesus is one of the towns, a man in the scripture says that was covered in leprosy. I, I, that's all it says. It says he was covered with leprosy. And I imagine his fingers, his, his arms, maybe his face and his ears and his feet and all the extremities, they were, they were just rotting away as leprosy did. I, I've been in a leper colony. We've, we've seen lepers in India. And when you see what it does to the body, it just, it just wrecks your, your, your extremities. So this man was covered with leprosy. And the scripture tells us that he fell with his face to the ground in a moment of desperation, he fell with his face to the ground, knowing who Jesus was, and said, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. Fix me. Restore my hands, my face, my ears, my nose, my, my toes. Whatever. Restore me. Knowing that this was his last chance to ever be healed. And Jesus said, as you imagine, he said, I am willing. Be clean. And it says immediately, immediately, the leprosy left him. But then Jesus said these words to him. He said, don't tell anyone what just happened. Don't utter a word. And go show yourself." To, to the temple, go, go declare that you've been made well. But he says, don't tell anyone. And then we pick it up in verse 15. Yet, even though he said, don't tell anybody, yet news about him spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. I imagine if we heard of somebody miraculously being healed of, of cancer, let's say, at the hand of Jesus, the crowds would flock to whomever did that healing. They would just come and come and come, and Jesus didn't want that to happen. And then verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In the middle of all of this, 
he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often. Nine times in the New in Scripture, in the New Testament, it speaks about how Jesus withdrew and, played and prayed. There was no shortage of things for Jesus to do. He could have been going 24 hours a day, seven days a week, healing and being engaged and teaching and being in the synagogues or later the temple. He could have done all of that all day, every day. People never left him alone. You read through the scriptures where even as he was teaching on the edge of a lake, he'd have to go out in a boat because the crowds were pressing in on him. And then if he went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and if you've ever seen it, it's really a lake, it's not a sea. As he went across, people would go around and meet him on the other side. He was the biggest thing that had ever happened. And people wanted to hear him, hear everything he said, be around him all the time. Just maybe be touched themselves and healed of whatever was ailing them. But Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. He had no shortage of things to do. As somebody myself who loves, <laughs> this was identified yesterday actually, as somebody like me who loves to go and go and go and do and do and do, you can exhaust yourself. And what happens if you live that way? Ultimately, you become exhausted and you're no good for anybody. If you go and go and go and do and do and do, ultimately you will become exhausted and you won't be any good at all. But through solitude and prayer and being in God's presence, all of that changes. And we begin to find the strength to, to carry on. People needed Jesus. People needed him and wanted him. But he didn't see that as the top priority. Ouch. The top priority for him was to spend time with his father. Alone. In his presence. Recharging. So for you and me, in a culture that tells us to go and go and go and do and do and do, in a world, and if you have kids, it's actually more, even more ridiculous where you're driving your kids from here to there and everywhere. Even in COVID right now, we're still driving our kids here and there. It's crazy. In the chaos of our world, how do you react what, what do you do? Do you follow the, worlds of, the words of Jesus? Can you relate to this? Where you just have so much to do and maybe you're even getting antsy right now because you know after church, you've got to run here, here, and here. Tomorrow's already booked. Tuesday, oh my goodness, you don't even want to talk about Tuesday. Does that make you anxious even thinking about that? Or when you hear about Jesus withdrawing to a lonely place, to pray? Does that, does that very notion, that idea, breathe life into your soul? You see, solitude for Jesus was a place to be sustained. Sustained to do all the things he came to do. Sustained to be the son of God here on earth. But he, he, he wasn't able, or he probably could have, but he still withdrew. He went away. He spent time with his father so that he could do the ministry he was called and sent here to do. For him, solitude was a place to be sustained. As followers of Christ, if we know that to be true, if we're called to be imitators of Jesus, we should be doing the same thing.
we should do what Jesus did, to live our lives as, as he did, to model our existence after him and how we function should be very similar to the ways he did. And if he often withdrew to a lonely place to pray, I think it's probably good for us too because none of us are Jesus. And if he needed it, you better be sure that you and I do as well. You can count on it. And, and I bet you can understand the times when you go and go and go and do and do and do and you don't take time for yourself. What is that like? Even for you extroverts out there, our introverted friends know what it's like to retreat and have that time, but for some who are full speed all the time, we all need that. We all need this place. My wife is actually the best one for me in this because she is more introverted than I am. And after a couple things, she's like, wait, we've done too much this weekend. And I'm like, no, let's go. We've got all kinds of things. She's like, nope, we're staying home. And I think her faith, her, her walk with Jesus, she has that built-in solitude. It's really interesting to see how it, it benefits her and, and how I've learned from her over the years that it benefits me as well as I'm sustained, as I focus my time and attention on the Lord alone. The third scene takes us to a, a very, the very end of Jesus' ministry. And we're going to look at Matthew for this one. This is after the Last Supper. This is after Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. It's after all of that. It's right before the crucifixion. It's right before Jesus is about to lay his life down for you and me. We're at the very end. Jesus, and let me read it. It's in, it's in Mar, uh, we're looking at Matthew um, 20, uh, 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further by himself. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. In this most important event in human history, when Jesus is about to lay his life down for you and me, he's about to, to end, end his time of ministry. Everything leading up to this point has been building up to this moment the pressure and the weight of the sin of the world is on Jesus' shoulders. Your sin, my sin, everyone who, who has lived and will live, the weight of, the, of sin is on Jesus' shoulders. And what does he do? The single biggest moment in human history is about to happen. And what does he do? Well, he takes his three closest disciples. They go into the garden. He leaves them and he goes by himself and he cries out. He spills his soul. His anguish is clear and he's just alone with God letting everything out. Every bit of it. Every bit of pain. Every bit of emotion. Take this from me. But not my will but yours. 
what did Jesus do in the final moments of his, his ministry before crucifixion? He spent time alone in solitude, crying out to God, bearing his soul, seeking his father's face, seeking his father to rescue him. Jesus, in this moment, knew that solitude was a place to be prepared. It's interesting as you read further on and you see the trials and how everything happened with Jesus after this point from, from being with Pilate and the religious leaders and then on the cross, what happened? He, he never cried out like this again. There was this inner strength. He, he, he knew what he was there to do and he did it because through solitude, he got out all of his angst, all of his, his just yuckiness inside, and he focused on, the, on his father. And God sustained him. He prepared him for what was coming. When something huge comes in your life, you know, the, the big thing at school, the big presentation or whatever at work, when a job is lost, when you look at our world right now and everything's uncertain and you don't know, you can't make sense of any of it. What do you do? Do you worry about it? Do you, do you sit there and play it over in your mind? Do you have sleepless nights laying in bed sweaty because you don't know what to do? Do you play every possible outcome, every scenario over and over again in your mind until you think you have one that makes sense for the situation? Do you worry yourself to, to the point of, of it, sickness? Do you gossip about it and, and talk ill of others based on the situation? Or do you do what Jesus did? Do you seek solitude, oneness with God, being alone with him, laying everything down and saying, Abba, Father, I give you this, whatever the situation is. You work in this situation because I don't have what I need to figure it out. I don't have the strength on my own. I don't know exactly what to do, but Father, I know you do. When you seek him in that way, when you seek his face, when there's issues in front of you that you don't know what is happening. Anybody feel that lately? I feel it. Even reopening church. What do we do? But it's through solitude, being alone with God, that those anxieties, those fears, we can, we can give them to him and he replaces them with a peace that, that should take all of that. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, you know this verse, many of you do. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Listen to the first part of that. Do not be anxious about anything. Anything. It doesn't matter. What's happening in our world, what's happening in your personal life, what's happening anywhere. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, 
no matter how out of control it feels, no matter what's happening, but in every situation, come before the Lord with thanksgiving and present your requests. And then listen to this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We all need that in our lives right now. We all need that peace. We all need to understand what it is to to present our requests, our troubles, our anxieties to God. And then he replaces them with this overwhelming peace. He just does. He prepares you. He prepares you for what lies ahead. He, He gives you exactly what you need. Not that necessarily he changes the situation, but he prepares you to stand up, to live, to be victorious so you're not crushed, so you don't lose sleep overnight after night after night. But that your your hearts are filled with the Lord. That's the gift of solitude. That's the gift of coming before the Lord and, and being quiet and listening for his voice. Prayer isn't always speaking, but there's a lot of listening. And maybe you guide your time with some scripture, and I think you should. But when you're really seeking solitude as opposed to study, listen for the Lord's voice. See what he says. Do you see why this is foundational for who we are as followers of Christ? You can't find this peace on your own. You can't do this trying harder. It's only by stepping back, quieting everything else, focusing in on the Lord, on God, that he can bring this peace. I want that for my life. I want to experience that every day, everywhere I go. Don't you? I'm tired of of watching the news and and talking to friends and being engaged and everybody's all full of angst and anxiety because everything seems to be swirling in, in this most chaotic way. But when you pull back and you just listen to the Lord, he strengthens you to stand up under the chaos of our world. And when you intercede on behalf of our world, he begins to work and do things that we never thought were possible as we continually seek his face. Now you may be saying, you don't understand my life. Solitude's hard to come by. This is happening all around me. Well, I want to give you some practical ways to experience it in the middle of wherever, whatever's happening in your world right now. The, the first, you need to take advantage of the little solitudes, if you will, that come up every day. Let me explain. Before you get out of bed in the morning, whether your alarm goes off or you just wake up, take a minute or two or or ten and and just be silent before the Lord. Don't jump out of bed right away. Get, you know, engaged with your phone or the TV or family or whatever the case may be, but just focus in on the Lord. 
Or maybe as you grab that first cup of coffee of the day, you just go to a quiet place in your house where there's no distractions. It's still beautiful out, maybe on your deck or your backyard or something like that. And you just spend time drinking your coffee and be quiet and take full advantage of that time to hear from the Lord, to prepare for the day, to to get things right in your heart and your mind before you jump in. And like I've said, to listen for a still small voice. But to exhale and breathe. Maybe you have a special corner of your room, a special corner in a room in your house or, or a, your prayer closet as that's been made popular lately or maybe your backyard. But find a place where you can just sit and be in his presence. And, and I'd say, you know, this isn't a time of study. This isn't where you're pouring over the scriptures for, for your own, you know, growth. This is a time where maybe you, you inform your time with a verse or two, but then you sit in silence with the Lord. And let everything else be still. Let everything else be quiet. For me, it's usually outdoors, and that's why this time of year is so great. I love being outdoors and finding a quiet spot where I can just be. I've been waking up way earlier. As as a result of the 100-day challenge, actually, I get up earlier than I've ever got up before and just spend time really listening and, and spending time with the Lord. It's been incredible. I've got a couple of different places I like to go, and during this period in our lives, it's sustained me and prepared me for sure. I want to up the ante a little bit. Maybe you take a day where you don't say a word to anybody. (laughs) Did you ever try that? Where you're just quiet and with God in silence. Or maybe a few times a year, you find where you can get away for a few hours, away from everything. You go to a retreat center, um, you go wherever, to Chestnut Ridge, and just focus your attention on the Lord, away from everything. Times like that will nourish your soul. Times like this, where you get away and shut out the world, will bring peace to the chaos. It'll help clear your mind as you retreat from everything and you listen to the Lord. We began this morning with 60 seconds of silence, which I'm assuming for many, you were wondering, what's he doing up there? Come on now. We're going to end with the same, but this time I want you to use that as an investment of time. Not something that's abstract, but as a way to say, Lord, show me what it means to to implement this, to, to find solitude, to practice solitude in my life. Show me what that means. Speak to me. So I'm going to pray for us. And then there will be a period of silence and the band will close us out. But in this period of silence, whether you're at home or here, whether you're watching online or in person, use this as an opportunity to connect with God. And maybe, just maybe, hear what he has to say to you today. Father, we thank you for this chance to be here to talk about something that most of us struggle with, really. And Lord, I pray that in the next few moments that we would be able to shut everything out and just spend that time with you listening 
Father, for those who are anxious, I pray that they would be able to cast all of their worries and anxieties onto you. For those who are, uh, maybe do practice solitude, they would use this as an opportunity to go deeper maybe, to experience you in, in different and exciting ways. But for all of us, Lord, whether this is the first time or the, the hundredth time or beyond, that you would speak to our hearts and our souls.